There comes a point in your relationship where you realize you're marrying more than a body. You're marrying a soul, right? That's why it's called soulmate. You marry every part of that person. And as Solomon is watching her life, he's taking stock of her, of her inward life. He's considering the parts of her that she might have kept hidden from others. You know, he's seeing these things that other people don't see. He's taking stock of it as he's entering this relationship. Watch their character. Listen, that's, that's a good thing. See how they treat their parents. See how they treat their friends, those that are closest to them. Those are good cues to see how they're gonna act in marriage, how they're gonna treat you even. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Open up to the book of Song of Solomon. Welcome. If this is your first time, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're like, my first time at a church and we're in Song of Solomon? Yes. Yes. But trust me, there's... There's wisdom in here. I'm going to pray before we get started. Let's pray. If you're there in Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter 2, let's pray first. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness. Lord, we thank you, though, that um, circumstances may change and and the world around us um, may show us, Lord, um, how far it is from the way that you created it in the beginning to be good and to be perfect and to bring you glory and us pleasure and joy. God, we thank you that we can find hope in you, Lord, that we can find strength in you. We can find strength in your promises, in your word, Lord. We we pray that your word would be, Lord, um, the the thing that we cling to tonight, that the cross, that the gospel would be what we cling to tonight. Amidst everything, Lord, we know one thing, and that is our sin on the cross, it is finished by Jesus, and we are thankful for that, and we can rejoice in that tonight. Lord, in our salvation. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that we would see the gospel, Lord, even in this book of Song of Solomon. You would open our eyes, Holy Spirit, and that you would just give us wisdom um, and ears to hear what your spirit would, would be speaking to us today. So we love you, God. We give this to you in Jesus' name. We all said amen. Amen. So welcome to Refuge Young Adults. You are in the book of, wow, another round of applause. Come on. You guys are feeling good today. I like it. I like it. Come on. So, Song of Solomon. Right? What? What is this even doing here, right? Why are we open to this book? Well, what our desire is in this book, guys, for you, we know that God put Song of Solomon in the Bible for a reason, okay? It's not like he, you know, the Bible was published and he was like, whoops, didn't mean to put that in there. (laughs) Has a lot of awkward things written in there, uh, you know, but... He has a purpose in this book and the red thread of redemption of Jesus that runs from Genesis to Revelation, that thread runs through um, Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, depending on how your Bible writes it. And this book has purpose for our life. However, like we were talking about last time, if anyone was here last time, shout out. I'm glad you made it back. Thank you. You made it, <laughs> you, made it. you wanted to come back. Um, but what we got out of it like last time is you will get out of this book what you put into it, okay? This can either be just another teaching that you listen to and it doesn't affect your life and you walk out of these doors unchanged by it and you get to see me squirm and talk about things in Song of Solomon that are really awkward to talk about and you're like, ha, that was kind of funny, you know? Or 
You can get everything that God intended you to get out of this book by applying the wisdom that is in here. Song of Songs is part of the wisdom literature of the Bible. And in it, we find wisdom in love, in dating, in courting, in marriage, in sex, and even in how to grow gracefully together with your spouse in old age. You know, with that wisdom that it gives us, and I don't know if you know this, but if you remember when we went through Proverbs, we talked a lot about wisdom um, about a year ago, right? I think it was like a year ago that we went through that or something. I don't know when it was. Where did time go? But there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? I hope you know that. Knowledge is up here. Wisdom is the application of what you have up here. It's street smarts, okay? It's knowing what to do if a shark comes out to bite you while you're sitting in the ocean. You know, you can know, okay, I need a... I, can, I know that, you know, sharks are weak where? Does anyone know where sharks are weak, where to punch them? The nose, the gills, and, and the eyes. Come on, there we go. Look at you guys. It's one thing to know that. It's another thing to put that in practice when a great white, right, the man in the gray suits, as Andrew likes to call them, comes at you while you're ripping on that wave. And it's another thing to put that into practice. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowing what to do, how to live the life that God has given us. And listen, today, we're going through Song of Solomon. Maybe you walked in here, you're single, and you're like, man, come on. We're going to talk about relationships? Like, I'm trying to get over the fact that I'm not in one. You know, maybe you're like, ah, I don't want to go through this. Well, listen, there's there's something for every one of us in this book. If you're single, I pray that you take notes through this, that you ask God to shape and mold you through this book, that he would shape and mold you into the image of Christ, because that is what will attract the right person in your life. If you're single tonight, I want to encourage you to stop focusing on finding the right person and start focusing and preparing to be the right person, to be who um, the right person that God is intending you to be. You know, the book of Proverbs says in Proverbs 24, 27, I've always loved this verse, and it says, prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and then afterward, build your house. And you might be hearing that, and you're like, Zach, what does house building have to do with the fact that I'm not in a relationship right now, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, relationships are like a house, are like building a house. And what the wisdom that um, Solomon wrote in Proverbs for us there that we can apply even to our relationships, even to our singlehood, maybe even to our dating, is that, What we want to do is we want to make sure that we're prepared, okay, when the right person comes. We don't want to just like live our life, whatever, and then when the right person comes, then I'll get my act together. Then I'll start living after God. Then I'll start start following him and getting serious about it. No, prepare your work, like it says, outside. And then when the time comes, you'll be ready. You'll be ready to build. You'll be ready to build with what you have. God blesses um, preparation. I almost said preparedness. That's not a word, right? God blesses preparation. So if you're single, prepare. Use this time to prepare. Maybe you're in here and you're dating. I hope you take that same wisdom from this book. You take that same wisdom. Let these teachings be a springboard for good and godly conversations with the person that you're dating. There's, reason, there's a reason why dating comes before marriage, where you don't just go up to a random person and be like, Let's get married. And they're like, yeah. And then you figure it out. No, no. Dating, there's a reason why dating and courting come before marriage. There's, it's a process that God is shaping you and preparing you in that. So use, use these messages um, and this time of dating wisely. And if you're in here and maybe you're married, Emma, 
And, oh, there, there's a couple other. Raise your hand for Married in here. Wow, come on. Look at that. Kimmy, Kimmy just got married recently. Woo, congratulations. Yeah, so if you're married, then yeah, you know. I feel like I don't have the right to speak on marriage because I've only been married like four years and I'm still figuring it out. And my wife will be the first one to tell you that I'm a fool. So <laughs> if you're married, read the book of Song of Solomon. Don't listen to what I say. Um, no, but what the point that I'm getting across is we all need wisdom. Amen. We all need wisdom and the wisdom books in the Bible, Proverbs, uh, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Job. These were written for us because we have a lot to grow in and a lot to learn still, no matter what stage of life you're in. Maybe you just graduated high school and you're like, I'm done with learning. Or maybe you graduated college and you're like, that's it. Well, guess what? You still have to learn life lessons and still God wants to teach you. It's just, it's, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. We're all growing. We're all learning. So the point that I'm trying to get at is apply what you learn from this book into your everyday life. Don't just listen to this. Write it down. Put it into application or else it'll mean nothing to you. And so a little recap of where we've been in this book. We remember, um, we kind of did a little prequel on that and talking about what love was, what dating was, how God created all of these things. Um, when in the beginning, God created man and woman and love and sex and marriage. And this is pre-sin and he created these things to be good. He said, these are good these are good and godly things. But once Adam and Eve sinned and they chose their will over God's, guess what sin did to God's good creation? It perverted it. It twisted it to the point that where we see in culture today, right? You see what relationships are like on movies and in TV shows and, and everything. And, and that's the definition that the world says, that sin is twisted, love, sex, relationships, marriage to be. But the beautiful thing is that Christ came into the world to redeem all things unto himself, okay? Including marriage, including love, including singlehood, including sex, including all of that stuff. Christ is the great redeemer, all right? He is the one that came to redeem all things to himself. And so in this book, we've been hearing from three people, right? We've been hearing three voices speak. First one is the Shulamite woman, most of the words in this book are from her, right? Ha ha, big surprise. Most of, the books are, most of the words are from the girl in this book. And she is pursuing a relationship with Solomon, with King Solomon. And so Solomon speaks. He, he'll have like good one-liners, right? And he'll say some stuff. He talks a little bit more as they get to their wedding and their marriage and stuff. But um, he hasn't talked too much here. So, but so we have the girl, we have um, Solomon, and then the third is the friends, like her friends. They kind of come in randomly, like the chorus girls, like, oh, and they like sing something out, and they're like, this is what you should do, or yeah, 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 we, we will, you know, they, they say certain stuff. But so those are the three vo voices in this book. And in this second chapter, where we're picking up, in this second chapter, Solomon and the Shulamite woman, they're in this, they've gone past the attraction past the first couple of dates, past the like, all right, we're starting to get a routine of what it looks like to have a relationship together. And they're starting to enter into this phase that is like the serious dating phase, okay? It's like, we're not just going out. We're not just settling for like coffee shop, you know, small talk. You know, we're getting, we're going deeper into each other and understanding each other. Some people might call this, this stage courting. Um, 
And um, I like what Andrew said last time. He's like, when I hear that word, I think of like these like medieval old English people like, I will court thee. Mm-hmm. And you do like a little dance and, you know, like you have a flag. I don't know. He did it a really cool way. But courting, yeah, maybe that's what it's called. Or seriously dating, whatever you want to, whatever term you choose. That's the season that they're in. And when we, la- when we last closed out the last teaching, we heard from the, from the woman here in verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7, you can read that with me. She warned us. She said, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. So we ended this last week's message with a warning about love, a warning about the seriousness of it, right? We talked about how it's like fire, right? It's a beautiful thing in the confines and what it's meant to be. Once it gets out of those confines of that fire pit, of that fireplace, it's destructive. It has the power to destroy. And just like she says here, she says, hey, it's also like a gazelle. It's like a doe, right? These creatures that are like super fast. You ever seen like a deer running away from a lion and like psychs them out and he's like super fast and the lion just like, ah. like they're fast creatures and they're super skittish too. I don't know if anyone's gone hunting before, but like you have to like be super quiet. You like, this might be gross, but like you can't shower the day before. Like you don't wear deodorant or any body spray or brush your teeth or anything because they can smell that stuff, okay? This is, maybe this is too much information for you, but they smell that. And the moment they smell that stuff, guess what? They recognize that's not natural. I'm out of here. And they take off. And so once they're awakened to your presence, there's no stopping them. And the woman... And, we ended last time talking about that, about love, that be careful with love, guys. Don't just toss it around. Because once you wake it up, it's a hard thing to put it back to sleep. It's a hard thing to stop that. Don't wake up love before it's time, until you're ready. There's a season and a time for this. Be patient, wait. A fruit of the Spirit is patience, right? A fruit of being filled with the Spirit, the Spirit, where am I from, Texas? The Spirit, a fruit of being Filled with the Spirit of God is self-control. That's what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. Are you self-control? Are you able to be patient? And so here we come to verse 8. Here's where we start. Verse 8, check it out. Here we, the bride or the um, Shulamite woman is speaking here, and she says, the voice of my beloved. Let's just stop right there. This is so cool, okay? She was in love with this guy's voice. Right? She's just like, every time I hear that voice, mm, she just couldn't get enough of it. Something about his voice brought life to her, to who she was. Listen up, guys, right here. His voice became a ministry tool for her. He used his voice, his words, to build her up. Man, guys, I think this is a word for us in what we need to lead in with our words. And I say that because I know us guys, we don't, we aren't wise with our words, and we don't use much words, you know? Like, we go on a road trip with Emma, and when I'm on a road trip, we just went up to Yosemite recently um, before our baby was born, and, you know, we're, we're up there, and, like, Emma's like, she's like, now I got you for, you know, eight hours, or whatever the drive is. She's like, finally, all these conversations I wanted to bring up in this drive. And she's like, she's talking to me. She brings out this deep question, like, what do you think about this? What we should do in this scenario? And I'm like, yeah, we should just do that. And she's like, that's it? That's all you're going to say? I've been holding on to this for all this long, and all you're going to say is, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, we as guys, we're not good with our words. I'll be the first to admit it. We're horrible. 
We need to get better at this. Use your words, guys, if you're in a relationship or you're preparing for that. Prepare your speech to be a ministry tool because that's what marriage is like. When you're married, you guys, you continue to minister to her. Your calling is to minister to your wife. Don't believe me? The book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 25 and 26, Paul says this when he gives this charge to husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So there's the bar that's set for you. Pretty high, right? That's another Bible study, though. Verse 26 is the one I wanted to bring up. He says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. That there's an aspect where husbands get to cleanse their wives by reading the word to them, by sharing the word to them. Do you read the, your, the word to her? Do you send encouraging verses to each other from the Bible that God is speaking to you? Man, Solomon was communicating with his voice, was building her up, and she was just flourishing under it. She's like, this is awesome. This is amazing. She found security and comfort whenever he spoke. She wasn't like, oh, man, you know, like, you ever seen, like, Hey Arnold, right? Remember that show, Hey Arnold, where that kid comes out of nowhere, Helga, and he's always like, <sighs> he's, like, breathing down her back, and she's like, ah, oh! she, like, breaks his glasses, like, every time, I had to buy a lot of glasses. You remember that, maybe? Am I dating myself? That's 90s, early 90s. I'm born in 91, so. Um, you don't want your voice to freak out, you know? Let your voice be used as a tool to, like, minister. Let your words minister. And so she says, the voice of my beloved, verse 8, behold, check this out. He comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. So I want to focus on that first part of verse 9 and the end of verse 8. So now we see this guy is so jived. He's so in love. He's skipping. He's leaping, all right? It takes a lot for a grown man to leap and to skip. All right? It takes a lot. <laughs> there are a few things in my life, I won't name them, that will make me leap or skip. Um, but he is so in love, just like a schoolboy. And you know the interesting thing that I, I saw about this? Love kind of makes us do some pretty crazy things, huh? And, make, you know, maybe for you who, have, who are in a relationship or you've experienced that before, you've done some pretty wild things. Maybe to, other people are like, wow, really? You, like, went all, you did all that just for her? Or for him, like, really? Like, they don't understand because the person in love, they don't, it doesn't feel crazy at all. It feels natural. You know, there was a time when Emma and I were separated by distance when we were dating, and she was um, going to school in downtown L.A., and I was living down here in San Juan. And um, I remember, like, there, it was this season where, like, I would get off work, and I was like, the first thing I want to do is just go and drive all the way over there to see her. I don't care about L.A., like, L.A. rush hour traffic. Like, I could care less about that. Like, I did what I needed to do to get to her, to see her. And I would go through, like, spend, like, an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes in traffic to see, and I would finally get to, like, her building. She lived, like, right across from Staples Center, like, in this apartment complex right there. And then I had to deal with, like, L.A. parking, L.A. street parking. And it was, it was horrific. Like, it made me hate L.A. It, it really did. <laughs> Not that I hate L.A. That's the wrong thing to say. But... To just to see her, it was worth it. Like, I didn't care. Like, I went the distance. Hello, Hercules. I can go the distance. I won't find nothing. So Solomon is skipping over the hills and mountains just to get to her. He's leaping over every obstacle in his way just to be with her. And I love this because it shows that he had determination, man. 
this guy had per, like, was able to persevere through hardship. He didn't give up when something difficult came in his way. He kept pushing through and fighting through because he knew, check this out, write this down, guys, nothing good ever comes easy. Nothing good ever comes easy. You know, it always takes work. Relationships are like that. Marriage is like that. And he saw whether there was a mountain standing in his way or a valley that was between them, he's like, I'm trekking it just to get to her. I got to get to her. I got to see her. You know, I was like that with him. I was like, I got to see her, whatever it takes. I don't care. I just got off of all this t work and I was exhausted in this and I don't care. I'm just, I'm driving. I'm, I'm going through it just to see her. I love the way that Marvin Gaye put it. That's right. Welcome to Song of Solomon. Marvin Gaye put it really well. He said, listen, baby, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough, baby. If you need me, call me, no matter where you are, no matter how far, don't worry, baby. Just call my name, I'll be there in a hurry. You don't have to worry. Cause baby, there ain't no mountain high. Come on, and then, Ain't no valley low enough. Yeah. Ain't no river wide enough. What? To keep from getting to you. Come on. Yeah. Give it up for Marvin Gaye. Come on. So for him, right? That's what. For him, wow. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, accept, I'm accepting donations and uh, tithes for our child. No, but for this guy, man, crossing these mountains, these valleys, these rivers, it wasn't a drag to him. It was a joy. It was a joy to his life. Nothing was a sacrifice for him if it meant that he could just be with her. Man, this guy had such determination. It was, it's, it's encouraging and it's a reminder for us that nothing good ever comes easy. We, whether it's easy or difficult, whatever's in the way, um, persevere through. And the cool thing is she's complimenting him, right? Because she's looking at him and she's like, behold, there he is. I see you skipping. I see you leaping over those hills. She starts to compliment him as he's doing this. In verse 9, she's like, my beloved, you're like a gazelle. I see how high you jump. You're like a young stag. Come on. What is she saying? She's laying the compliments out here on him. And she's basically like just complimenting his manliness as he's just trekking through these mountains. She's... You know, she's just laying it down on him. And, you know, last time we, we, we talked about the difference, last study, we talked about the difference between the world's version of manliness and, and the, how the Bible defines what godly manly, manly, manliness looks like. And we know that godly biblical manliness, for us guys here, it starts with abiding in Christ. It starts with a solid relationship with the manliest man of all, Jesus. Man, the one who persevered through the end, the one who was a warrior, who fought for you, who won us over. Man, it all starts with the relationship with Jesus. And so she's watching him just trek through all these mountains, just, and she's just like, mm, I see you. You know, like this text, she's basically saying, you put the stud in Bible study. That's like basically what she's telling him. She's like, you put the stud in Bible study. You know, and, and, it's, and it's good, this is good for us, guys. We need to be reminded of this, right? You know, it, we need to be told sometimes that we're manly, you know, and I think the reason why, and, and Andrew and me, we've talked about, we've had conversations about this like almost every day. We talk about this almost every day. This is all we talk about. But it reminds us men of, that we, the, the purpose in which God created us for, what he created us for. There's a purpose for us men, and in marriage and in family, we're called towards leadership. We're called towards headship. We're called to take that 
protection, that provision, both spiritually and both physically and emotionally. You know, guys, we're called to be that. And when a woman allows a man to lead, it shows to a man that they're needed, you know? When Emma lets me, she's like, babe, you know, you pick where we're going out to the date, you know, tonight or whatever. And I'm like, that's right. I'm going to choose where we're going. I'm going to lead this. I'm going to, you know, like where she's like, you can do, you know, why don't you pick, you know, what flavor of chips we're going to have for lunch, you know, or whatever. I don't know. But when a woman allows a guy to lead and to step into that role, man, it, it gives the men purpose. It shows that we're needed in this. You know, guys, you're more than just a pickle jar opener, okay? If no one's told you, you're more than just your muscles. <laughs> you're deeper than that. You're more than just a moving truck, <laughs> you know, picking stuff up, lifting it off the ground. God has given you biblical purpose. I pray that you would search the scriptures to find that out. I don't have the time to talk about all of that today, but remember, it starts with the relationship with Jesus. It starts there. And then check it out. This gets awkward really quick. He says, or she says in the end of verse nine, she says, behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. What? Okay, I just want to start off by saying that's illegal, okay? <laughs> this verse is not a proof text for you to go stalk someone, all right? Just like peer through their windows and be like all creepy, all right? Solomon was not stalking her. That's clearly wrong and unbiblical. But what we see here, and I really like this, I took a lot of this from Andrew's old study through, um, through this, but what we see here is that they aren't married yet, and she's at her parents' place, and Solomon is maintaining his role. He's understanding that, you know what, she's under her dad. Girls, right now, if you're single, meaning you're not married, your headship is your father. They're the head over the family and over you, until... That day that you stand before the altar before with your future husband, until that day, your dad is your head, the head over you. But that day, that I, once you say I do, you say I do, the kiss, the communion, the crying, all that stuff. After all that, guess what? Your husband becomes the head over your life, over you. And Solomon right here is understanding we're not married yet. And so I'm letting you be with your family. I'm letting you live your life like we're dating. And what I'm getting at is, listen, maybe if you're dating here or you're wanting to be dating, don't rush the season that you're in. Don't rush past that. It's easy to allow feelings and love to kind of stir things up and you just go for it, right? Like that gazelle or that deer. And you're just like, I just want to act like we're married. I just want to, you know, stay up super late and then wake up in the morning. And the first person that, you know, that they see is me. You know, and I drive over to see it. And then all the holidays, I spend all day with them and I don't leave any time for them and their family. Like that's, I don't believe that's biblical. I don't believe that's right. Don't act like you're married if you're not married. Fellas, treat her as a sister in Christ until the day she becomes your wife. Girls, treat him as a brother in Christ until the day you guys take those marriage vows. Because when you are married, guess what? The Bible says you leave and cleave. In Genesis 2, 24, it says, therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and cling or cleave to his wife. And if you're married and your desire is to be married, that, that, is, a, that is a whole nother topic that Andrew would love to talk to you about, about family dynamics in marriage. When you're married, you should be separated from your, your, your family in the sense of where they do not have the loudest voice in your decision-making as, as a married couple. You are now one, and you now make those decisions as one. But if you're dating, you're not. 
So don't rush it. Maintain that role. Enjoy the season you're in because honestly, you don't get that back. You know, that season that me and Emma were in when we were dating, it was so sweet. You know, I look back at it with such fond memories and all the stuff we got to do and, and experience and enjoy that anticipation of like driving just to go pick her up for date, you know, like, or getting ready and like, you know, like putting on cologne and wearing like going and shopping, buying a nice shirt, you know, like that whole like, not that that stops in marriage. No, it doesn't stop. But that anticipation of we're not one yet and, and leading up, don't rush that guys. If you're in that dating season, don't rush it. But also what Solomon is doing here, what we see here is in this is that he's watching her life. He's watching her character. He's looking deeper than the outward appearance. You know, we talked about that last time, how Proverbs 31 says that beauty is fading and, and charm is deceitful, but a woman who fears the Lord is greatly to be praised. There's a difference between outward beauty and inward beauty. And we as Christians want to, obviously, attraction, you need to be attracted to that person. God's not going to call you to marry someone that you are not attracted to, all right? Just give you freedom there, okay? Take a big sigh of relief and be like, thank you, Lord, okay? <laughs> um, you want to be attracted to that person. But listen, attraction must go deeper than the skin. It's got to go to the heart. It's got to go deeper than that. And this is what Solomon is doing. And I love this. It, you know, it reminded me of this great, this great film, this great film that it probably will be watched for ages to come, Okay, and in this film, this priest, he's speaking to this nun, and he says, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. He says, tell me, who is this encarnacion? To which the nun replies, and she says, well, my favorite color is light tan, thank you, and my favorite animal is puppies, and I like to serve the Lord, hiking, playing volleyball, and, and, and this priest, this, this man of the cloth, his response to her is, you got to be kidding me. Everything that you just said is my favorite thing to do every day. Right? Not, that's Nacho Libre. Sorry, if you didn't get the hint. That's Nacho Libre. Um, wow, you guys are here for a show tonight. Come on, just keep it going. Just keep it going. Um, the point I'm getting at is just like Nacho, like he was like, let's get down to the deep stuff. There comes a point in your relationship where you realize you're marrying more than a body. You're marrying a soul, right? That's why it's called soulmate. You marry every part of that person. And as Solomon is watching her life, he's taking stock of her, of her inward life. He's considering the parts of her that she might have kept hidden from others. You know, maybe like her obsession with Starbucks coffee or that laugh snort that she does that no one else gets to hear. <laughs> you know, he's seeing these things that other people don't see. He's taking stock of it as he's entering this relationship. Watch their character. Listen, that's, that's a good thing. See how they treat their parents. See how they treat their friends, those that are closest to them. Those are good cues to see how they're going to act in marriage, how they're going to treat you even. And so they're beyond puppy love and they're starting to understand this might be the one. This might be the one that I get to marry. And because of that, they had this desire to go deeper than the surface, as should any relationship should progress that way. They're like, let's do life together. I want to do life with you. And that led to the nitty gritty, okay? The deep conversations that happen, the, the marriage talks, right? That's when the, the talks about these deep issues come up. And now I understand, these are not easy conversations to have. You know, when dating gets more serious and you can no longer ignore the difficult stuff, you realize that some stuff has to be dished out before we move forward. 
There has to be some issues that need to be addressed. You know, some of the conversations that you might have at this stage of seriously dating, some of the conversations might be about the past. You know, you might talk about what shaped you. What was your upbringing like? What was your family life like at home when you were growing up? Your conversations might come about to the present. What are your ongoing struggles, fears, worries? What currently stresses you out right now? And who holds you accountable today in your spiritual walk? These are great questions to ask. Talk about this. The present, you might talk about your hopes. What do you want for your future spouse, your future home, your future family? What is your sense of God's mission in the world and where do you find your place in it? What is their calling? Discover these things. What do they feel called to do? Even dreams, what fulfills you? Where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you want this relationship to go? And probably the hardest one of all, wounds. What baggage do you carry? Are there sins that were committed against you that are, you're still recovering from? What still haunts you today? These are all important conversations. They're not always the most enjoyable ones to have, but they're needed to have as you progress in your relationship. And the thing that makes this really difficult is because it creates a very risky season in the relationship because you're bearing your true heart out to them, right? You're showing who you are, you know, not all cleaned up, right? When you first start dating that person, you're like a, Andrew says it, you're like a used car salesman. <laughs> you're like highlighting all the great things about this car, not like the fact that it's got an oil leak or like the engine makes this weird noise when you press the gas or there's like a, a slight little scratch in the back or, you know, there's a weird smell, you know, or stain in the backseat that we don't know how it got there or what it is and it won't come out. You know, like used car salesmen, they blow past all of that and they just highlight the, the good things. And that's what going on the first couple of dates are. No one shows their true self. You put on your best, you put your best foot forward. That's just natural. But as you grow, you should reveal more and more of who you are to each other. You should reveal more and more of the issues, the things that you struggle with. But only after trust and safety is established between you guys. Solomon and, and this woman, they were moving towards marriage. They saw some issues that needed to be talked about. And... And the reason why, I really think this is important, guys, because when you get married, and for those of us who are married in this room, you can probably attest to this, but when you get married, the other person who's standing up there at the altar with you, right, and you're there, you're holding their hand, and she's there, she's got her veil, right, and she's like, oh, pretty, yeah, you know, and you're crying, the guy's crying, the girl's crying, and there's Andrew Newman officiating it, because he officiates every wedding, did mine. Did I start it? I, I might have started it, I might start it, I don't know. I'm just joking. And so, but when you're standing there at that altar about to make these vows, you know what you want, guys? You want the person who's standing in front of you to be the person who knows all your issues, knows all your imperfections, and knowing all that still says, I'm still all in. I'm in this. I know you're a sinner like me. Guess what? Nobody's perfect. We're all saved by grace. Don't forget that, okay? Don't get prideful. Don't forget that. We're all saved by grace, but you want to get to be there with somebody who sees that and is still like, I'm still in. I'm still ready to do this thing called life with you. Let's go. That's what you want. All the weird, all the awkward, all the crazy. Get that sorted out before the marriage day, you know. But when you discover these things, you know, there's that thing. Don't be brutal when, when, you, when they're bearing your heart out, you know. Don't laugh at, like, past wounds, you know, at, like, thinking it's a joke or sarcasm. Don't, don't like, you really need 
um, tender compassion and grace during this season. Pray for that. Pray that God gives you that. And, and Solomon, he was operating under that grace, right? We read this in the last study in, in um, chapter 2, verse 4, where she said, um, his banner over me is love, right? Such a beautiful phrase that he used towards her. And he was, in a sense, saying, when I hang out with him, he's stoked. He's showing me off. And his, this flag that he waves over, and he's just saying, I'm, I'm in love with this girl. And, he, and so in his presence, she didn't find condemnation. She didn't find bitterness. She found acceptance and security. And so Solomon's operating out of that love, that love that's written there in chapter two, verse four. And what I love about that love, when you study the word of it, the Hebrew word for it is the word achava. And that means love of the will. It's like more than just liking something. It's like choosing to love this willingly choosing, despite the imperfections, despite the issues, choosing to still love the kind of, I'm not going anywhere type of love. I'm sticking right here. I'm sticking through it. And so they share this, right? And Solomon's seeing it all. She's seeing it all. Like they're burying their hearts out to each other and they're both not running away. And this is what we, this is what we want to get to as relationships progress. The conversations need to go past just getting to know them and it needs to get into understanding them, okay? There's a difference. You're not just learning what their favorite color is and what, what puppies, you know, they, maybe they like puppies, you know, or whatever. You're, you're, you're discovering what makes them tick, you know? What, what makes them the way that they are? Why are they fearful of this? You know, why, why do they struggle with that? That's what you grow into because they're in a season of, it's like being engaged to be engaged, right? They're not engaged, but they're like, I'm sticking in this, though. If there was a ring, I'd be wearing it to be engaged, to you, to be engaged. If that confused you, it confused me, too, as I said it. <laughs> Verse 10 through 14, let's read this. So he goes on, and he says, my beloved, or she says, my beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Verse 14, O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Guys, take note right here, man. What he is saying to her here, in these next verses, you know, she's still speaking, and it's almost like she's recalling a love letter that he wrote to her. You know, guys, write, write love letters to your girl. Learn how to do that, okay? Or, or a mixtape. Are mixtapes still in? That was kind of in when I was in high school. Like, you know, make a little mix CD. Andrew knows, right? That's like, that's like our love language. You put MXPX on there and we just start crying. And we're like, this is amazing. What I love about this is right off the bat, we see that like what she says there in verse 10, as she says, my beloved speaks and says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, come away. I like this because she's saying he's taking the initiative in leading these dates. Like he's, he's the one that's like, here, take my hand. Let's do this. You know, like that kind of corny Instagram couple, right? Where they're like, oh, take the photo and like holding my hand. Or, but the guy's in front and she's the one that's, right? I don't know. Anyways, if you haven't seen it, that's probably good. Um, guys, take the initiative. 
Solomon's like, girl, let's get outside. Let's spend time together. Let's, let's, I got this date plan for you. It's going to be rad. Let me tell you, this is what you need to wear. Should you have your nails done? Probably. Will I propose? You won't know. Well, I'm not going to let you know. You know, he's like, he's preparing all this stuff, calls her beautiful again. Great line, right? He's wanting to spend some quality time with her. And, and as you see, as, as he lists like this poem to her, you see that he talks about seasons. He's like, winter's over. Spring's here, baby. Oh, yeah. And he's just like, he's like, seasons are changing, and he's wanting to spend every season with her. He's like, is, is it PSL season right now? Then, yeah. We're, you know. Or even better, he's saying winter's gone, right? That's right. He's saying winter's gone. He's, he's like almost in a sense being like, hey, winter's gone, girl. Take those Ugg boots off. <laughs> you know, some of you girls, maybe you know what I'm talking about. You force it in these California winters that we have here. You're like, right, like me wearing this pullover. You know, you're like, it's not really winter. But he's basically saying spring is here. The flowers are, are blooming. The turtle doves, which were a sign in Israel of, of spring, they're singing. The birds are singing. And she was the song that he was singing. She's like, he's like, you're the tune that I can't get out of my head. That one's for free, guys, all right? You can take that and use that one. You can use that one. You're the tune that I can't get out of my head. This... Because as they were bearing their issues out, right, that's what we just came out of, they're, they're sharing who they really are, their struggles. As they were bearing this out to each other, it felt like winter. It was hard. The conversations that they needed to have, they were difficult. It was a difficult season, you know. And she might have went into that season with insecurity because she was like, I'm letting you see who I really am. And that's like, like only my mom and my sister know that, you know, like see who am I, you know, like only a few people know who I really am. But Solomon was seeing that and he's like, I'm not running away. Instead, right, he's like a deer. He's like, I'm leaping towards it. Like I'm, I'm running towards it. I love what um, a pastor, Matt Chandler, says about this. He says, isn't it a deeply satisfying and steadying thing when someone gets a glimpse of our crazy and basically says, I'm not going anywhere. Like, isn't that a deeply satisfying thing? For those of you who are married in here, you're like, amen, right? You're like, I'm, like, I mean, just for me, I mean, you look at Emma, like, wow, really, Zach, you scored? Like, come on, like, I can't believe that, like, like that's who I get to spend my life with. Like, I don't deserve that at all, and, and she's not going anywhere. At least I hope. <laughs> Please don't. But they were ready to get serious, you know. And in this poem, right, he calls her dove. He's like, you're my little dove that's just hiding in the cliffs. Like, and we talked about last time, dove was a symbol of tranquility, of peace. You know, it was a symbol of like, in a sense, you know, he's saying like, everything could be going wrong. But when I see you, you bring me to my happy place. Like, you, you bring me peace. Because of Christ, even, we talked about that last time. The peace of Christ in you just gives me that you know, then, and he's, and he's saying that to her, you know, and, and she's like this dove, right? He says she's a dove hidden in the crannies of the cliff. And, 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 you know, that could be like that she was still insecure about things and he's trying to woo her out. So he's creating security with his words and he's telling her, Hey, look at, look at my phone. In a sense, you're the wallpaper on my phone. You're who I love, you know, your voice. That's my ringtone. Your laugh. Like, mm, I love it. Like, and he's just, he's pouring this honor, right? And then verse 15, this is a great verse right here. As we near the end, it says, catch for us the foxes. She says this, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. 
And all of a sudden, in the midst of this poetic recital from Solomon that she's, re she's remembering, she all of a sudden cries out for help. She remembers, she kind of like gets pulled out of the dreams, you know, the dreamland of like, wow, life is perfect and amazing. She realizes we need help in our relationship. She's saying there's foxes that are endangering her relationship with Solomon. What are these foxes? Well, these foxes, these little foxes, they represent small compromises or even the issues that are unseen, unspoken, or undealt with. These are, these are small compromises in a relationship that can be sin, that can be just a weight, that, that what, they, what they do, like she says here, they sneak under the fence, they burrow through, right, you know, and they spoil the vine. They bite at the, at the little source of the, of the vineyard, and the whole thing spoils. And she's recognizing the need for protection. She's recognizing that. She's realizing that a relationship is like a vineyard. It needs tending. It needs protection from small influences that could wreck or spoil the fruit that comes out of it. You know, I hope you never forget that when you date somebody, you're dating a sinner. Or when you marry someone, you're marrying a sinner just like you. That you don't forget that they're dealing with issues too that could be foxes, little foxes in their life. And your role, let me, let me put this nicely. You are not the Holy Spirit, okay? Your job is not to change them, all right? I remember hearing an interview from Pastor Chuck, and they talked to him, and, and, and um, they asked him about his marriage. And they said, you, you know, actually, Kay Smith just went to be home with the Lord just recently, and um, they lived long years of marriage, right? And, and what Chuck said about Kay, they asked him, Chuck, how did you, how did you, how did you succeed in marriage? Like, you guys have been married for X amount of years. It's like awesome. Like, like how, how did you make it work? And I love Chuck. He was so honest. He's like, you know what? He's like, the first five years were horrible. <laughs> That's what he said. He's like, the first five years were horrible. And, and they're like, why? And he's like, because we were so busy trying to change each other. We were so busy trying to be the Holy Spirit and change the things we didn't like about each other. Instead of, he said, the moment that we took a step back, we let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit and we allowed grace to change that person. Marriage was awesome. Marriage was awesome. You know, you're a bad Holy Spirit. You can't change a heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Okay, so when you're dealing with a sinner, understand that, you know, your job isn't to call out the little foxes. Obviously, yes, be aware and be like, hey, this is an area we could fall in. Like, let's be aware of this. But your job isn't to be like, I can't believe you're so lazy. You never get anything done. Oh, you never, I told you last week to do this. You know, like, don't do that. That'll wreck your relationship. That don't, don't do that. And so they're calling out from outside help here. I like this. It's like they're calling out for a third party. They're almost saying like, hey, we're in the midst of it. We're in the thick of this storm of this battle and all this stuff that's happening with these foxes and they're going everywhere. We need somebody from an outside perspective to look inward and give us wisdom and godly guidance in this. And guys, if you're in a relationship, if you're married, it's okay to ask for help from the outside. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to seek direction, to ask for help. And this could be gospel-centered counseling, 
maybe one-on-one, you guys separated from someone, from a pastor, from a leader. This could also mean you engage in a discipleship, mentorship type of relationship with a person where you're submitting to church leaders and church direction as they pour in and love you and, and, and pray and let the Holy Spirit work in your relationship. It's okay to seek outside help from people who can give you God's wisdom and guidance in these areas. Because sometimes, right, we, we, have, we all have blind spots that we can't see, that only other people can see. And, and we need that extra help, like someone to come out and be like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, you got a little bit of spinach in your teeth right there. And you're like, I would have never known. You know, like, thank you. Like, don't, aren't you thankful for those people that tell you that? You know, when you're like at a party or something or an event? Like, it can be a little like, how dare you? You know, but... Like, thank God, you know, maybe some of us are like, mm, you're like, mm, it's right now, maybe I have some in my tooth right now. No, but it, it can be a little shocking at first, but like, you're like, thank God that you had the courage to say something because now I get to deal with it and get that spinach out. And it's the same way, you know, let people speak into your life, call things out, grow from, grow from it. A little leaven can leaven the entire piece of dough that Paul, like Paul says in Galatians 5, 9, these foxes are small things. They're small compromises throughout your life. What are some small compromises maybe you have in your life, maybe with your relationship with Jesus, maybe with your walk with the Lord? Are there things that easily grab your attention away from reading your Bible? Are there things that take away from you learning from God? This is a call for help. It's okay to ask for help, guys. And then we close with these last two verses. We're closing here. She says, my beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Such beautiful poetry here. Um, Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the cleft of the mountains. So she's saying, my beloved is mine and I'm his. And I like that. She's like, they're both basically saying, hey, we're exclusive. Like, I don't have any side people that I'm talking to or relationships that I'm entertaining you know, like, I'm, like, actually, I deleted my social media. You know, actually, you know, like, whatever. You're like, I'm, I'm all in you. This is it. I'm giving you the preference here. They're showing that type of committing type of love. And I like that it says, you know, it says here that, um, it says that, you know, um, when she's talking about Solomon. She says, he grazes among the lilies. And um, later in this book, you find out that lilies are a symbol of lips. So... You can figure that one out for yourself. <laughs> no, he's saying, you know, she's saying, I can't wait for you to kiss me. Like, that's basically what she's saying. She's saying, like, I just can't wait for you to kiss me. You just graze right here. <laughs> can you just stay here for, like, a really long time? Is that too awkward? No, maybe? Okay. Um, that's what she's saying. Wait, it gets, it gets more awkward next chapter, okay? So <laughs> just wait. Um, but she's, she's saying that. But she, she's also saying, like, in this aspect of, like, I think the New King James reads it like his sheep or his lambs graze among the lilies. And it gives this, um, this reminder that his role was a shepherd. Like, men, we have this role as a shepherd to be filled with strength but gentleness, you know, this, 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 like, you are strong, like David, able to deal with lion and bear, but at the same time, you're gentle to handle sheep, to deal with the, the emotional matters of life, the sensitive matters of life. I love it. That's, and that's a picture of Jesus, right? I love how um, C.S. Lewis talks about Aslan in the, in the books of Chronicles of Narnia and talks about him that way. And, you know, they, they, the kids ask when they find out there's a lion that rules um, Narnia. They say, oh, a lion, you know, like, is he safe? 
And the, the creatures of Narnia, they respond, they go, he, he, is, he isn't safe, but he is good. He's not safe, but he is good. And it's like such a beautiful picture of like, man, he, God is a strong warrior, but he's good. What he, th- these things that he uses, this strength that he has, this almighty power he has, it's used for good in your life. And men, we're called to be like that, to be strong, but gentle, safe, not safe, but good. And we're going to stop there because that's going way too long. We're going to stop right there. But I'll close with this last thought. These last two verses, Charles Spurgeon saw these verses as allegorical to the body of Christ, the bride, and Jesus. It's actually kind of crazy. He preached eight sermons from these two verses, eight separate sermons about the love of God for us and our love for him through these two verses here. And it's so beautiful because he says that as, as she cries out as the bride, and even as we, the bride of Christ, cry out and say, my beloved Lord Jesus, you are mine. Like in the sense of ownership of like, I've chosen to follow you. I've given my life over to you. You've redeemed me from the pit. You've given me life where there was death. You gave me life. I'm yours and you, or, or sorry, you're mine and I'm yours. My beloved is mine and I am his. So then also at the other turn, we are owned by God. That he, his love for us is so great that we, not only have we chosen him out of our free will, but his word tells us that before the foundations of the world that he chose you, that he saw you, and then he chose to love you. And not some future version of you being all perfect and amazing and holy and righteous. Like he chose the messy you. Like you on your darkest day. He saw that and loved you and chose to die on the cross for you. So I think we can all leave this message tonight rejoicing in the love of God for us because Spurgeon said here, and I'll end with this quote. He says, it certainly does seem a great thing to call Jesus mine, to think that he should ever be mine and that all that he is and all that he has and all that he says and all that he does and all that he ever will be is all Mine, when a wife takes a husband to be hers, he becomes all hers, and she reckons that she has no divided possession in him. And it certainly is so with thee, dear heart, if Christ be yours. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, that as we read this book, and though there is wisdom in it, God, for us in love, in these areas of dating and marriage, and, and things that the world has twisted and, and has sin has perverted. We thank you, God, that Jesus, you came to redeem all things. And we see that in you, Jesus. We see that in your great love for us. We see that and we're reminded, even as the book of Romans would write and would say that while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. That even as Jesus hung there and as those Roman soldiers pounded those nails in his hands and in his feet and as they mocked him and as they gambled for his clothes, as he was crucified in naked shame upon that wooden cross, that Jesus, you would look down at them and in a sense you would look down at our sin and our brokenness and you would speak words of grace. And you would cry out and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Thank you for such great love, Lord. 
It's a love that can't be fathomed. It's a love that can't be understood completely. But it is a love that can be accepted and rejoiced in right here and right now. And so I pray, Lord, that as we close in this time of response, Lord, in this time of worship towards you, would we respond to that great love that you have bestowed upon us. That as we sing these songs and we remind ourselves, Lord, that you are coming again, that you have come to rescue us, and one day you will come to rescue us eternally and set up your perfect and righteous kingdom on earth. That we can have hope in you through the trial have stability, God, through the storm. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for your goodness towards us. And so we pray, God, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your wisdom. Let us take this teaching, not just hear it, but let us be doers of the word. Let us live it out. Let us apply it all, God. And let it start with our relationship with you. Let us go deeper, Lord, in knowing you, in searching you out, and in being planted in of Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name.